Will you turn with me back to the portion of script you reread there? I want us to look at most of the chapter we've read, but to single out two separate phrases as the focus of our attention, verses 15 and 16. First of all, it says, But I am the Lord thy God. And then at the very end of verse 16 says, Thou art my people. These four words are what I want us to simply think about tonight. My people, your God. <clears throat> when we're alone and have to face a huge uphill task, we've got to face so many problems and challenges. We're so limited in our resources, our skills and our experiences. In that kind of situation, it is all too easy to be discouraged. All our strength, what little remains at least, all our enthusiasm is knocked out of us. We end up speaking with ourselves and even speaking with the Lord. What's the point of trying? It's just too much. That's the way these people felt in this book that Isaiah is addressing. They had come out of exile. For many years they'd been in Babylon, out of their own land, a conquered people. Foreign language, foreign ruler, alien culture. All because of their rebellion against God. The Lord corrected them and corrected them, but they weren't heeding it. And so they reached the point where the Lord said, Enough is enough. You're going into exile. And now they were to return. The prophet Jeremiah speaks about this very event. It says, chapter 25, at verse 11, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. And it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it perpetual desolation. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it. Even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all nations. Later on it says, For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. And you shall find me and seek me when you search for me with all your heart. So here are the people, they're addressed, they're coming out of Babylon. That's the situation the Lord is addressing through the prophet. They've learned their spiritual lessons, but there's so much for them to do now. They've got to rebuild that which was knocked down. 
They've got to restructure their society and the infrastructure of the society in which they were once living. The same with ourselves. We've got from time to time to restructure our own personal life and, yes, even church life. All of these are challenges to us. And when we have them before us as challenges, we sometimes need to be encouraged in the doing of them. The best way to be encouraged is not so much through human words, solutions or resources. What we need is the ministry of the Lord our God, dealing with his people. And that's what we have in the prophet Isaiah. The book is divided into two big portions. 1 to 39, these chapters, but then chapters 40 to 66. And these chapters we wrote from 40 to 66, the theme of them, time after time after time, the Lord is speaking to his people and he's seeking to bring comfort to them. The very first verse of chapter 40, comfort my people. The very last verses of chapter 66, exactly the same thing, comfort to God's people. Through there in the library, you, you see it. You've got bookends. And they're holding books in place. And all the books in between can represent the feelings and the experiences of your life and mine, the experiences of the nation. And they're held in place by these two great themes, the comfort of the Lord. But what's the place for these people now? What's the place for these people when they return from exile? They can be quickly discouraged. It's not a strange place for God's people to be in to be discouraged. The same we saw this morning in the prophecy of Haggai. They were the people that then returned from exile. They started the work of reconstruction, but they hit a brick wall. They stopped. They needed to be encouraged. Haggai was sent to them. He speaks with them. He encourages them. He uses different phrases, but he keeps on repeating and repeating, I am with you. I am with you. That's the ministry that he had to bring to these people to encourage them in what they were doing. The same problem is brought up here in this book of Isaiah. But there's a different ministry brought to them from that of Haggai. Here, the emphasis, you are my people and I am your God. That's what is repeated time after time. The consequences, the application, the comfort, the encouragement of these simple four words. To them and to ourselves. And what this text tells us, it's, it's, it's as if the prophet is setting out the edges of life. Broad and as expansive as they can be. Setting out the great edges of life. And right at the very center, there is this one great theme and truth. You are my people 
I am your God. Very well. With all of that edge in place and that central core in place, now, take these problems you've got, these difficulties you've got to face, put them into the jigsaw, put them into this framework that's been set, put them against that core of truth in the middle. Let's see how they solve. Let's see how they're overcome by that truth. You're my people. I'm your God. We need to catch and hold off and hold on to time after time after time. The greatness of the God who is on our side. There's an experience given to us. Look at 2 Kings chapter five, chapter 6. The king of the Syrian was against the king of Israel. And he was trying to capture them. And every time he went to the place to ambush them, the king of Israel escaped. And the king of Syria thought, I've got a spy in the camp. Someone's telling me, or at least someone's telling them where I'm going. And one of his counselors stood up and says, no. The king of Israel knows because Elisha is with him. And Elisha can tell the king and warn the king everything that you're going to do. So the king of Syria changed his attack and says, right, we'll go after Elisha instead. So one day he found out where Elisha was and he sent a huge army out after Elisha. And so it was one morning. The servant of Elisha got up and he went outside and he looked. And what he saw was the army of the sins of Syria ranged round about them and he was terrified. And he came in and he blotted it all out to Elisha. And then Elisha says this. Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he might see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and of chariots round about Elisha. The protection of the Lord of hosts was deployed to keep safe the servant of God. We've got to get things in focus in exactly the same way. To see who's on our side. To see who's fighting for us. The way in which he identifies with his people and he says, You are mine. With all that that means. To defend. To fight. To provide. To protect, to protect my people. That's a statement true then in the days of Elisha. It's a truth that's given to us here in Isaiah. And it's something that we can take and hold off again. The Lord putting his mark and says, you are mine. Back home in Lewis again, if I can take once more an example and illustration used to go out with my uncle into the hills and collect all the sheep in. And every sheep had a mark, a different mark painted on the fleece. And as it went through the run into the fank, every crofter would say, well, that one's mine. And that one's mine. And that one's mine. According to the marks of the sheep, of the paint on the back of the sheep. That's what God says about his people. Every one of us. Isolate, lonely and alone, wherever we might be, you are mine. 
And that's a truth that keeps on coming down to us right where we are right now. Small congregation. Few resources. Few young ones. Stewed to old age. Whatever be the complexion of the congregation. Limited abilities. You might ask yourself the question, how are we going to do the work that is given us? It's too much. We lose heart. To that very situation and to that very group of people, these words come tonight. You are my people and I am your God. And how does God speak to and address the situation that these people might be in when they return from exile? First of all, he speaks about his power. My power. My God. Listen to what he says. In the verses 1, 2, and 3. The authorised version, there's just one time when I would prefer one of the other translations because it says simply, listen. Listen. It's more forceful, it's more challenging, it's more direct. Hearken to me. No, listen to me. That's what the Lord is saying three times in this chapter. There are other things that come into our lives. There's a noise of business and transactions through the day. There's things that dominate our vision. There are things that dictate where we go and what we do. There's so much clutter we gathered in life. The sheep goes through the ferns and through the heather. And there's things that stick to the fleece. Things stick to our lives through the day. And what the Lord is saying, stop. You've lost your spiritual balance and focus. Now listen to what I'm saying. There were those, we read the last two verses of chapter 50. There were those, we're told, who among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of the Lord? There were those that were asking, what is the way of the Lord? How will we work in the work, in the, work the Lord has given us to do? It's too big too hard, it's too much. And the Lord is saying, my power, look at where you've come from. Look to the rock whence you are hewn. Start thinking it through once again. At one time, Abraham was no different from anybody else round about him. Steeped he was in paganism. Hard as the rock in the quarry, we're told it. he was dug out of a rock. He was as hard as everybody else round about him. And the Lord is saying, look. Look at what happened there. It's not a quick glance. That's not what the word means. It's not that just passing by. It says, look at it. Sustain that look. Absorb what you're seeing. Learn from it and apply it. That's what he is saying about Abraham here. Yes. What happens if Abraham had said the same things as we're saying maybe? It's too hard. It's too hard. But God started to work on Abraham with a hammer and a chisel. And God started to mold him and make him a person he could use. He made him the source of many nations. 
In fact, the span of the heavens was what was the Lord used to illustrate that work for Abraham. That's the scale of the blessings that were to come on through and from Abraham. Just think then. Just think then of what was required to bring all that about. The power of God. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, Not by might, not by, not by man, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. These blessings that we see following from the life of Abraham, called as he was, they were brought about by the power of God. Just one person, but one person underneath the blessing of heaven achieved and accomplished so much. It was on human scales, not just simply difficult, it was impossible. Sarah was barren. How was it going to happen? But the Lord did it through his own power. And he could do it again and again and again. We can look back, you and I both, we can look back to other ministries in our land where churches were full, where people were queuing up for coming to church. We can look back and we can think of, well, we can't ever have that again. It's too big, it's too hard, it's whatever might the reason be. And the Lord is saying, look what happened with Abraham. I did it with him. Look back at your own history in Scotland and I can do it again. But he doesn't just stop there. That's God's power blessing the work. He goes on to speak then in verse 3 about a human assessment. The Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. You think of the desolate places where once the gospel flourished. You think of the wilderness and the places where the once the gospel was in ascendancy. There's no encouragement now from these places. But here the Lord is saying, yes, he can and he will change these things to become a lush and a rich environment. Because there is nothing but nothing too difficult for our God. The situation might look impossible, but the Lord can change it. This one, that one, and the other that we're familiar with. Will that person be saved? We've witnessed, we've spoken, we've talked. But there's been no effect so far. There's a problem we've faced. There's a difficulty we've got to overcome. And we don't seem to be overcoming it. All of these things can be thrown up. But we've got to remember what the Lord is saying. He's telling us and telling us and telling us. Listen, listen, listen. You are my people. I'm your God. And I've done this in the past by my power. He can still do great things for us. Just listen to what he's saying. So yes, that's the first thing we're told here. The power. But the second thing that we're told here is the purpose. Verses 4, 5 and 6. Again, listen to me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nations. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. Now, as soon as you hear that phrase, a light for the people, 
surely our minds begin to think of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's speaking about. If you gather together all the pronouns that are in that verse, it is, listen to me. Give ear unto me, my nation. I will make. It's always the focus upon the Lord, what he's going to do and the purpose that he's going to achieve and accomplish. He's going to, we're told here, Allah shall proceed from me. That means there's a pronouncement, a declaration is going to be going forth from the Lord that is going to be for a light for the nations. And as soon as we hear that, we're beginning to have an understanding of what it might be. The Lord is going to make a display of the operation and the fulfillment of his justice in dealing with sin to such a scale, we're told here, he's going to do it to such a scale that other nations and other peoples, even as far flung as the islands, they're going to be brought underneath the effect and the experience of the spiritual work achieved and accomplished. Talking of this, the coming of Christ. That is the purpose the Lord is speaking of here. And he's telling us, listen to it. It's going to happen. It's not far away, as far as the days of Isaiah was concerned. But there's no doubt whatsoever about it. And one of the great ways of understanding, I, I go back again to it time and again, in the prophecy of Isaiah, there's little cameos, little pictures given to us of this particular person called the servant of the Lord. And he's the one who the Lord is going to use to achieve what he's speaking of here. He's the one who's going to bring light to the nations. We read about it in earlier chapter 7 and verses 9 about the virgin being born and he shall be wonderful counselor and so forth. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's there's one particular image that always stays with me. In chapter 43, it speaks about the servant of the Lord like this. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delights. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, and smoking flax he shall not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. What's that speaking about? The very situation these people are in. They've had the stuffing knocked out of them in exile. They're coming back and they're facing a huge challenge. They're on the point of giving up. That's what is described in that passage in Isaiah. A saucer with a little wick dropped over the side and the puddle of oil in the middle. And the oil is drawn up the wick and as it drops over the eye, it burns. But there comes a time when there's very little oil left in the bottom of the saucer. And the wick begins to burn brightly before it goes out completely. That's it on its last legs like these people were. And it requires very careful attention to pour the oil into the saucer so that it just soaks into the wick 
drawn up and begins to burn. Because if you pour it in too quickly, you're creating a tidal wave and it simply pushes the wick over the edge. So there's a very delicate touch required to revive those who are on their last legs. That's what this passage, the whole of this section of Isaiah's term, comfort ye, comfort ye. That is the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant to you and I when we're down as low as this. He comes right beside us and he pours of his ministry to encourage our soul. That's what's spoken of, the servant. And his ministry is going to go, yes, through nations, but also go to the islands itself, we're told here. They are going to come to know the power and they're come to trust in this work the Lord has done. And as we were thinking of this morning, there's an element here told us about the permanence of this work. Lift your eyes to the heavens, we're told. Go on. Lift your eyes to the heavens. Look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens, the heavens are going to vanish away like smoke. The earth shall wax old like a garment. Yes, these things that we once thought of as being permanent once again. We thought of it this morning. We're thinking about it again. These things that once were in our minds so permanent. The heavens are just going to go like a puff of smoke. The earth is just going to be like an old garment. You put it on. You wear it out. You take it off. That's the way things are around about us. That we think are so permanent. But the contrast is no. God's word and this salvation is not going to be like that at all. It is not disposable. There's going to be nothing to destroy it. It's not limited, nor is there any fault in it. We have today in supermarkets a best before date. You've got to use it by such and such a date. There is no such thing as a best before date on the salvation of our God. There is no such thing as a use by such date that limits its effectiveness and usefulness in the salvation of our God. It is permanent. That's the important thing of this purpose which is intimated for us here. But not only is it permanent, but we're also told it is it is robust. My salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished. We hear, we know, we're familiar with the words of Romans chapter 8 about nothing but nothing separating us and intervening to take us away from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me use another illustration to bring that same lesson home. 1 John chapter 3, verse 28, it speaks about the great size of the last day. And it speaks about everything being gathered before the throne of God. And the Christian is there described as, we have boldness. That word boldness can be put in a very vivid way. We are not reduced to silence. We are not left stuttering and stammering because of the augustness of the gathering, because of the greatness of where we are, because of the person who's sitting on the throne. None of these things intimidate the Christian and reduce us to a withering rag. 
We have a boldness. What is it? Because our hope and our confidence is built on one thing alone. The work that is intimated here for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord, come to achieve and accomplish the salvation from sin that is spoken of and addressed here. Boldness. That's what we have. It's a robust salvation the Lord has given to us. So with confidence we can rely then on what the Lord has said. He's doing a wonderful thing. And these people, you and I as well, we're involved in it. First of all, it comes to us personally. And let's never move over and avoid the personal challenge of what we're saying here. Just you and your God. Me and mine. And the question we've got to ask that it lingers with us, what is our relationship to the one who is here speaking to us? He says, listen. So therefore the question is, are you listening? And are you responding? So that's the personal application and involvement. But not only that, having experienced it for ourselves, we then have the responsibility of going out and making it known. That's the purpose the Lord has, to use us, to spread it. So yes, we've got my power. Yes, we've got my purpose. Third thing spoken of here, the persistence of these people. Verses 7 and 8, hearken to me, listen to me, listen to me. Ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, fear ye not the reproach of men. You've experienced this salvation. Speak of it, spread it, share it. You've delighted in it, tell others about it. That kind of conversation and that kind of evangelism attracts the opposition of others round about us. And the Lord is encouraging that very kind of person when he says, fear not. Don't hesitate. There's that phrase occurs in many, many different places in our Bible, fear not. The Lord says it, the Lord Jesus Christ says it, but every time it's given, there is always an under-supportive argument. Fear not for, fear not for, I am with you, or such like. We're never given something lying, abstract, hovering in the air. There's always a foundation underneath it. The same occurs here. The Lord is calling these people to a persistence. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by these people. What is his argument? Well, it's simply this. You've got ten, you've got taunts and jibes coming your way. They've got a hostility directed towards us. People will try to get at us because we raise a Christian testimony. And sometimes we can take it very personally to ourselves. And what we've got here is now. You are my people. You are my representatives in the audience and the nations of the world. You are there speaking the word that I give you to take to them. So if there's any hostility, it's a hostility directed against the Lord as much as against 
we, nim, we minister in his name. People won't like it. But again, we've got to take that opposition back into that framework. Remember I spoke about the edges, the truth in the middle. Yes, take that opposition right in there. We are God's people. Don't be afraid. Their words can be threatening. Their words can be intimidating. But see what it says there in verse 8. The moth shall eat them like a garment and the worm shall eat them like wool. They are disposable. They're going to come and they're going to go. What are you afraid of there? Remember your status. Remember who's on your side. Remember whose name you go and whose work you're engaged in. You remember and keep on remembering. Listen to what the Lord is saying. No matter whatever aspect of the work. Let me go back again to chapter 43 this time. Thus says the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And then he goes on to speak about, yes, when you go through the fire and the storms, yes, when you go all these things that are spoken of there, we can take them down to ourselves as illustrative of the kind of problems we've got to go through. But every one of these things that come our way, we've got to keep on remembering what we're told in that very first verse. I have redeemed you. You are mine. And that's the great comfort and encouragement we're given. Hang in there. Hang in there. Stick to what you're doing. Making known the gospel to those who need it. Persist in the work and the sphere of labor the Lord has given you. Because you're not alone. You're not on your own. You are my people. And I am your God. So yes... The power, the purpose, the persistence. One last thought before we close. We come down to verse 9 and we have the pleadings. Awaken. Awaken. Put on strength. There's a change comes in in these verses. Not in any of the situation. We've still got opposition to face. We've still got opposition. We've still got opposition. It's going to get worse as we persist in that work, as the Lord has told us to do. But there's been a change in the people. Back then, when they were in exile, they were dominated, they were controlled by where they were, what they faced, what little they had. But the Lord is going to set them free. And then they began to realize and to remember Something vital that they perhaps had neglected or even forgotten. They had lost their focus as we were thinking of with that servant in the day of Elisha. Something had dropped out of their thinking. Who are we? We are God's people. 
and he is our God and on our side. So therefore, if that's the truth that we've given in these verses, how that truth should feed into our prayers and ask, Lord, come, awaken, awaken, put on your strength, get dressed for battle, come on. That's what he's saying. That's the pleading that is given to us here. There might be indeed, yes, emotions involved. There might be deep passions involved. This prayer, this kind of intercession, it's almost as if the, 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 the psalmist, the, the prophet rather, is shouting at the heavens, awaken, awaken. But there's nothing irreverent about such a passionate pleading for God to come. We are there given the example of the exodus. The way in which he opened the waters and let the nation go free. And it says there, I, in verse 12, I, even I am he that comforteth you. He's done it in the past. Why then are you afraid of men? Why then are you looking at these people who are going to go like that? The prayer that is given to us here. We might feel ourselves be frail for a moment, but we constantly turn our minds and our thoughts to the God who has saved us and set us free. Who he is, what he's done in the past, and we can use these past things to feed our prayers that he would do them again in the future. I want you simply to close by using an illustration. There's teaching here about the servant of the Lord that I'm going to leave to one side just now. But let me just take this as we close. Before there were automatic washing machines, how did a generation or two behind us, how did they do a washing? They got a bucket and they put the clothes in the bucket and they left them to soak. And they were left in there for long enough to bring about a change and cleanliness in the clothes. That's what we've got to do here. We've got to take what this chapter is telling us about the power of God at work in days gone by, the purpose he's achieved in sending forth the Son, the persistence that we've shown in the past, but now we've been intimidated by it and we're not doing as well as we're doing. Take all of these things. And take your soul and your life and soak it take the clothes in the bucket soak your soul in these truths and let them have an effect upon you an encouragement to one and all of us whatever be the situation we're going to face in days to come as individuals as families as a congregation Everything comes down to a simple relationship with our God. A relationship which he has established. Four words. My people. Your God. And let that be the parameters of our thinking. And into which we import all our problems. For a solution. For encouragement. In days to come. Let us pray. Our Lord and our gracious God, 
We bless thy name for the riches of thy word addressed to the very specific situations in which we are placed. And we ask our Lord and our God that we might be able to take these thoughts with us and go on our way with something to feed our soul and to joy and give joy to us. That we might each and one of all of us here tonight be able to say, this was indeed the very gate of heaven to our soul. And here we are met with our Lord and our God. May therefore there be a difference with us from what we had this day. And use us, Lord, in thy pleasure for thy goodness once again amongst us as a nation and a people. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. We close by singing from Psalm 95, verses 3 through to 7. The sentiments that we've been thinking of and repeating both morning and evening. For God, a great God and great King, above all gods he is. Depths of the earth are in his hand, the strength of hills is his. To him the spacious sea belongs, for he the same did make. The dry land also from his hand its former first did make. Oh, come and let us worship him. Let us bow down with all. And on our knees before the Lord our maker let us fall. For he's our God, the people we of his own pasture are. And of his hand the sheep. Today, if his voice will hear. These four stanzas from Psalm 95. For God a great God and great King. Oh, uh -huh. 
And now may grace, mercy, and peace from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with you all.